We're looking at Mark chapter 15, verse 33 to verse 34. Now, by the end of this past message, I want all of us to answer this simple question. Why was Jesus abandoned by God during his crucifixion? Why was Jesus abandoned by God during his crucifixion? We are asking this question because we are continuing our exploration of the death of Jesus in the book of Mark. In this eyewitness account that has been recorded for us by Mark. Over the last few weeks, uh, we have seen Jesus crucified. He has been crucified over this, outside the city walls of Jerusalem on a hill called Golgotha. And as Jesus bleeds to death, uh, we saw last week that a crowd of people have gathered around his cross. Uh, they are shouting insults at him. That is how we left things last week, for those of you who are here. Today we are back at the foot of the cross, and we are waiting for Jesus to breathe his last. The time is around 12 p.m., and as we are looking at Jesus hanging there on the cross, something unexpected happens. A supernatural darkness descends on the land. It blankets the whole landscape. We read about this in verse 33 of Mark chapter 15. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Now, a few years ago, I was visiting my mother in Zambia, right? And just as I was about to launch it in my uh, uh, organic, delicious Zambian dinner, we were suddenly plunged in darkness. It turns out the whole country had suffered a power cut. Uh, thankfully, this was a part of life. And so power used to go out for about seven hours. And then it came back on. It's just we got used to that. So my mother had learned to plan for it. This had happened to me for the first time, so I hadn't, right? Uh, but my mother had learned to plan for it. So she kept lamps and candles and all those sorts of things prepared. Which, of course, meant the dinner disturbing darkness a little bit more bearable, right? But imagine if that darkness that came came suddenly during the day. And the whole sky just goes black. And you have no idea when sunlight is going to come. You have no idea what has caused it. It's just a supernatural darkness. How would you feel to experience that? I think all of us would be gripped with fear, wouldn't we? And this is what the people in Jerusalem are feeling at this moment. They are going about their day. Then suddenly, it's pitch black. The sun is refusing to give out its light. And I can picture mothers scrambling for candles and lamps and lightening fires as they comfort those crying babies. I am picturing children asking grown-up, what is happening? Where has the sun gone, Daddy? It's 12 p.m. And perhaps an older teen is asking, is this the end of the world? And right in the middle of this darkness, Jesus is still hanging on that cross, 
bleeding to death. And then after three hours, Jesus speaks, doesn't he? In verse 34. Verse 34 says, And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemasabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The cry of Jesus has switched the sun on again. There is light again on Golgotha. Even as Jesus continues to hang there in agony. And so we are left to ask, aren't we? What has just, what has just happened? What is going on? Where did this darkness come from and where has it gone? And why is Jesus, God the Son, crying out to God the Father? And what is this abandonment that he's talking about? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, a story is told of the great reformer Martin Luther. And not Martin Luther King, the original Martin, right? Martin Luther. Martin Luther decided to spend time to pray and fast. And he did this because he wanted to study this passage. He wanted to answer those questions we are asking. Why did you, in, in what sense was Jesus forsaken by God? And after a long time in prayer, the whole day, perhaps it went on for a couple of days, he got up from his chair and started shouting in amazement, God forsaken of God? Who can understand that? And that was the end of his study. And that is true, isn't it? We cannot fully understand the abandonment that led God to cry out to God in agony. Why have you forsaken me? We can know why Jesus was abandoned, but we can't say in detail how he was abandoned. And so my task this morning is not to explain the how. I ordered my hand that I can't explain the how. But the why. Why was Jesus abandoned by God on the cross? And as I've thought about this passage, as I've thought about these two verses, I think what they're teaching us is this. It's teaching us this. That God abandoned Jesus on the cross to embrace sinners to himself. God the Father abandoned God the Son for you. For you, friend. That's what that cry is about. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the answer is for you. For me. This is the main truth we learn here. And to see this clearly, we actually need to travel back in time to another place in history. Another time in history when something similar happened. Something similar had happened before. About 1,500 years before Jesus, the people of Israel were enslaved by Pharaoh in Egypt. God sent Moses to Egypt to set them free. But you remember from your Sunday school that Pharaoh did not want to let the children of Israel go free. So what did God do? God sent ten terrible plagues at the end of Moses to make Pharaoh see the point. And you may remember that the ninth plague 
was a plague of darkness. We read about it in Exodus 10, verse 21 to 23. It says this, Exodus 10, verse 21 to 23. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. Verse 23 says, They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. The deep darkness that God brought on Egypt was one which could be felt. Why was that? Well, because the darkness, you see, was a sign that the land of Egypt had come under the wrath and vengeance of God for refusing to let Israel go free. Now that was plague number nine. What came after that? Indeed, sister. It was plague number 10, isn't it? The, the, the killing of all the firstborn sons in Egypt. Except for those who followed God's instruction. You see, before plague number 10 came, God had told his people Israel to sacrifice a lamb. And to mark the doorposts of their house with its blood. Why? So that when the angel of death came, he would not enter. So when he came, he would pass over their home. You see, that lamb marked on the doorpost was their salvation. It saved them from the wrath of God. From the wrath and vengeance of God that had settled on the land. And now, 1,500 years later, we are in Mark chapter 15. The people of Israel have gathered to celebrate the Passover. Don't forget that. They are remembering how God passed over them in Egypt. And as they prepare their memorial meals, as they carry their lambs to be slaughtered in the temple on Good Friday as a sacrifice, God all of a sudden brings the entire thing to a stop. Darkness has descended on the land. Not for three days, but for three hours. Why three hours? Well, because God, you see, is not punishing the people. What is going on is that God at that moment is using this three-hour darkness as an arrow pointing to his sacrifice of his firstborn, his son Jesus, who is about to be killed on Golgotha. You see, on that cross, God is offering his firstborn son. Jesus is the spotless lamb of God, sacrificed for the sin of all who repent and trust in the death of Jesus. Anyone. And that's, by the way, why the darkness actually falls on the whole earth, the whole land. That's, that's what that phrase means, the whole earth, in fact. Because it's a narrow from all the parts of the world pointing to Golgotha. You see, the physical darkness is symbolizing three important things. First of all, the darkness on Golgotha is showing us that Jesus is now taking possession of all our spiritual darkness. God at this moment is pouring on Jesus all your spiritual filth, 
all your sin, all of it, past, present, future, it is being transferred from your account to the sinless and spotless Son of God, Jesus. That's the first thing. The second thing is that the darkness symbolizes that God is hiding his face from Jesus. Because Jesus is now being counted as a sinner in your place. God is holy. He cannot look upon our sin. You know, when you sin against God, God can't bear it. He cannot commune with anyone who is reckoned a sinner. Even his own son when he takes possession of sin. And so at that moment, the darkness has come. Why? Because God has abandoned his beloved son. Now, as I said, we can't understand how God can abandon God. We can't understand how Jesus can be treated as a sinner without becoming a sinner. What we can know for sure is that even though God the Father has abandoned communion with God the Son, the union of the Trinity remains intact. The union remains the same. Communion has been severed. The third thing this darkness symbolizes is God's wrath and judgment. That is now being poured on Jesus. Because Jesus is now carrying at this moment the weight of our sin. Right there on that dark cross, our Lord Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath. The cup that he trembled at when he was in Gethsemane. He's now drinking it. The cup of wrath that you and I deserve. It pleased God at that moment to crush his son, to punish him for us, to pour on him the blackest of darkness reserved for us. Now, you may be wondering this morning, why would Jesus need to punish, why would God, rather, need to punish Jesus in my place like that? What do I owe God to require Jesus to suffer such hellish torment on that cross for three hours? What have I ever done to God that Jesus should be punished for me? That's a question we ask, isn't it, in a liberal and progressive Britain led by Boris Johnson. Well, the Bible says the reason why Jesus needs to be punished, you see, is because you owe God your love. And God demands that we love him with all our hearts, with all our soul, with all our might. That's Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. But all of us have loved other things more than God. And that is, that, that is what sin is. Sin is loving other things ahead of God. It is having other things as our first love. And all of us are guilty sinners before God. And as the Bible says in Romans 3, verse 23, all, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. We glorify what we enjoy most, don't we? If we enjoy a football club, we glorify it, we enjoy its glory. 
And if we're honest, we glorify ourselves. Because what you prize most in your life is not God. It is you. All of us live for me, myself, and I. All of us are rebels against the Almighty God. All of us have failed Deuteronomy 6 verse 5. None of us have loved God with our heart. None of us have loved God with our soul. None of us have loved God with our mind. We are all rebels against God. And that is not a small thing. It is treason against God who is infinitely great. Oh my friend, the one true God of the Bible is infinite. Is eternal. He is good. He is immutable. He is wise. He is all powerful. He is all knowing. He is all present. He is all just. He is all good. He is all supreme. He is without equal. He alone is our creator and sustainer. He alone is our true king. He alone is worthy of all glory and honor. And yet, you slap God in the face every day. You slap God every day in the face with your sin. That's what sin is. It defames God. Every lie. Every gossip. Every wrong thought. You're slapping this God in the face. Now how do you expect God to react? It's bad enough slapping mom. How do you expect your God to react? My friends, God is just. He cannot simply sweep our rebellion and sin under the rug of the universe. Our sin must be punished. God feels a holy wrath, a holy vengeance, a holy hatred against your sin. Your sin and my sin must be punished. He has made this clear in the Bible. Romans 6 verse 23 tells us that the wages of our sin is death. Ezekiel 18 verse 4 says, The one who sins shall surely die. There is an infinite penalty hanging over each and every person here. Because all of us stand condemned before God. And if God doesn't punish us, it would demean his nature. The holiness of God would become a joke. And here we read, don't we, in the Bible, that God is full of love for us. God is love. And he is not happy that his wrath and judgment is resting on our souls. He wants our situation to change. He wants you with him. So God the Father, by his grace, has sent God the Son To come in the person of Jesus. To suffer and absorb the wrath of God for us. The Apostle John writes in 1 John 4, 9-10. In this the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world. So that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. But that he loved us. 
and sent his son to be the propitiation. Do you know what that means? To be the wrath absorber. To be the sponge that absorbs the dirt and the wrath of your sin. He sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. You see, instead of God letting his wrath visit you, God on the cross provided himself in Jesus to be a sacrifice that absorbed God's wrath headed for you. This God for second death of Jesus we are seeing in Mark 15, 33 to 34, right, did not cancel the wrath of God. No, Jesus absorbed it. And if you like, diverted it from you to himself, to his body and to his soul. The wrath of God is powerful and just. It cannot be withdrawn. The sweat of judgment must fall on each of our heads. But the good news of Jesus, you see, is that Jesus stepped in by God's grace. Not to stop the wrath of God, but instead to place his holy body in between us and the wrath of God. And this is why Jesus is crying out. Why is Jesus crying out? What does it say? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why is Jesus crying out? Why is God crying out? Well, because Jesus, you see, is standing in your place as a creature. And that's why he cries out as my God rather than my Father. Because he's standing, you see, in your place. Because Jesus is fully God and fully man, and he's standing here as fully man in your place. And standing in your place, he's abandoned and punished for your sin. Jesus suffered God's wrath in darkness, So that we would live in the light of God. He was abandoned by God. Why? So that we we sinners would be embraced by God. And so the question this morning is very simple, isn't it? You know the question. The question is this. Have you accepted the punishment and abandonment of Jesus on the cross for the forgiveness of your sin? Have you truly repented of your sin? Are you trusting in Jesus? Can you say with confidence, I have been embraced by God because Jesus died for my sin? Can you say my life has been changed by Jesus? For me to live is Jesus. To die is gain. Oh, friends, Jesus, you see, is not offering you simply forgiveness of sin. That's a great thing. He's not offering you simply the escape from the wrath of God. That is a great thing. God wants to hold you. He wants to embrace you in his arms forever. God wants to give you a new life where you you know God is for you and not against you. He wants his loving eyes to be always turned towards you. He wants you to live in this dark and uncertain world, knowing you are covered by his light in Jesus. He longs for you to escape the wrath and judgment of hell, but much more he longs to be in your life. God knows you better than you know yourself. 
He knows that like all of us, you long for his embrace of God. Even though you won't admit it. He created you and he knows that there is a deep emptiness that only he can fill. A void in your life that cannot be filled by fashion, by money, by family, by technology, by friends. None of that can fill that. Only he can fill it. And so he's saying to you today, come to me. Let me end your spiritual loneliness. Let me live in your heart by my spirit. Let me hold you forever. Let me become your never failing friend, your protector, your strength when you're tired. Let me be your help in your darkest of hours. Let me be your ever present king. Let me fill you with my grace. Let me be your infinite source of love. Let me be the one that carries all the burdens in your life. I want to give you all of, my, all of myself. In life and in death. I want to be there for you every second. I want to stick by you when you mess up. No matter what. I am offering you sensational grace. This is the embrace that God offers. This is the reason Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's offering you life with Him. To be there for you every second. And it can be yours right now if you truly repent of sin. I'm not talking about church attendance. I'm talking about true repentance and surrendering your life to Jesus. There are too many of us for which Christianity is simply a tick box exercise. No true conversion. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being born again. And that's what God offers. What about those of us then who are already trusting in Jesus? We always ask that question, don't we? What about those of us who are already trusting in Jesus? How should we respond to this God who was abandoned for us on the cross so that we would be embraced by God? But two things, isn't it? I thought we could be here the whole day, but just two things. First of all, let us adore Jesus with our words and our lives because of the spiritual suffering and abandonment he endured on that Golgotha for us. If you are a true follower of Jesus, this is your instinctive response. Worship. You know Jesus suffered physical violence for you. You know that. He was beaten, flogged, crowned with thorns, and then crucified. You know he endured it all for you. You know that, and you heard it again recently. You know, Jesus was battered with emotional and psychological violence. You have seen it in Mark, how deserted he was by his friends. You've seen that none of them have turned up, even as he's dying, except John, we are told. You have seen how he was betrayed by his closest friend, Judas. You have seen the mockings. You have heard of the insults. You have seen how Jesus was Paraded there naked in shame. All for, to, all for people to see. 
including his own mother. You've seen all of that. But none of that, none of that, beloved, none of that comes even close, not even 1% close to the spiritual suffering is enduring in that three hours, in those three dark hours for you. When the sun fled in horror, when creation no longer shone brightly, when the earth stood still. Oh, my brothers and sisters, please consider afresh this morning your Savior Jesus hanging there, beaten and bruised by his enemies. And now his heavenly Father comes along and inflicts on Jesus those omnipotent blows on his soul. As God's wrath is running riot on the cross, on his frail body, as he's doing that for my sin, my filthy sin, for your sin, God is crushing Jesus with infinite spiritual agony. Such agony that our Savior cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Such suffering that would make God cry, beloved. Beloved, consider the suffering of Jesus. That it was the suffering of one who had always been dear to his father. And now he was abandoned by God. It was the suffering of one who had infinite hatred of sin. And yet he was now covered with the filth and sin, my sin. Your sin, beloved. He was spiritually there, suffocated. Spiritually suffocated by our sin. He was made sin. Him who knew no sin. Consider that he was a suffering that left our Lord without any feeling of the comfort of God he loved. He had no feeling on that cross that God loved him. He had no feeling that God desired good for him. In the words of Robert Murray McShane, God was his son before, now that son had become darkness. Not a smile from his father, not a kind word, not a kind look. Jesus hung on that cross, feeling condemned. He felt as if his loving father was saying to him, Depart from me, you cursed creature. All of this and much more than we can imagine. He endured it not for himself, beloved, but for you. He suffered so that you can enjoy the embrace of God. Let us adore Jesus for this. If you are born again, worship Jesus for this. Perhaps even at this moment, if I had more time, I would just stop here and we we'll start singing and dancing and praising the Lord. But we move on, don't we, for the final thing, I think, which is this. Not only we should adore Jesus, but also let us follow the example of Jesus. To keep our faith in God in those moments when the presence of God feels hidden from us. 
Jesus is dying there to save us from sin, but he's also there as our example. Perhaps this morning you are feeling perpetually low, in a low mood of some sort. You are crying out to God for his immediate comfort. And the the cloud, as it were, does not seem to be lifting. Darkness has descended on your life. Or perhaps you are anxious about the spiritual welfare of your children. You are praying, or perhaps your wife or your husband. You are praying for them to come to know God, to truly know God. And God seems silent to your plea. Or perhaps work is difficult. You are praying for your boss to treat you better. And he seems just to be getting worse and worse. And you feel alone and abandoned by God in that situation. These are difficult situations. They can leave us feeling empty, can't they? And the devil is always on the hand to whisper to us. You know, you are all alone, you know. God cannot help you on this one. He helped you on that one, but not this one. This one is too difficult for God. The devil is always on hand. And of course, we know the devil is a liar, isn't it? So how then should we respond to such situations? Well, we must come back to Mark 15, verse 33 to verse 34. We must follow the example of Jesus here. How does Jesus respond? I'm so thankful that Jesus does not shut off his feelings. No. He cries aloud, doesn't he? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's saying to God, I feel forsaken. And so Jesus doesn't shut off his feeling. Instead, he's allowing his feeling to escort him into the throne of God and he's using the word of God to cry out to God. Don't forget that the words Jesus utter here are written in Psalm 22, verse 1. Where David cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. And isn't that our answer here? When we feel abandoned by God, let us use the Bible like Jesus did to bring our pain before God. Let us learn to use the Psalms especially as a vehicle for crying out before God of our pain. Let us allow the scripture to channel our emotions before God. And let us come before God in trust and in love of God. Let us see Jesus' example, isn't it? Notice the affection with which Jesus pours out his cry to God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Twice Jesus calls God my God. He doesn't cry out, cruel, cruel father. He does not cry out, horrible, horrible dad. He does not cry out, my judge, my judge, my judge. He doesn't do that. He cries out, my God, my God. There is passion. There is embrace of God in his words. He's saying, you are mine. I belong to you. And I know it's by your hand I've been crushed. But I still love you. I am clinging to you as mine in this nightmare. And isn't that the belief of every child of God? In the sovereignty of God, 
That is not by the enemy we've been crushed ultimately. That whatever is going on in our lives is at the end of this God of our Lord Jesus Christ. So are you feeling abandoned by God today? Are you praying and the door feels shut? Do you feel alienated? Are you struggling to hold on? Do not follow your feelings. Follow Jesus. You know the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know He is your God. You know the Father of Jesus is your Heavenly Father. And you know that though Jesus felt abandoned by God, and in one sense He was, as we looked at, yet in all of this, His union with God was never broken. And the same is true for us who are in union with Jesus. No matter how distant we feel from God, in whatever situation we are in, the communion may look clouded. But if you are in Jesus, the union with God can never be broken. Nothing ever changes between us and God. The God of Jesus is still our God, isn't it? We are still His children. We are still His kingdom of priests. And we will still reign with Jesus in the world to come. And how can we be sure of all of this? Well, because of the cross, isn't it? Because the cross of Jesus says to us, God abandoned Jesus on the cross to love and embrace us forever. Amen.